another hope-filled message from Life. For more information about our church, visit lifeau.org. So I was talking to somebody recently. They had immigrated from another country and they were fully qualified in their country, but they had to resit some exams because what is required in a new country is different to the old country. And I would encourage you today, we all know what the old life is like. But God has a kingdom way of living that maybe first up you go, wow, that sounds a little different or that's pretty challenging. But when you wanna have kingdom outcomes, you need to live a kingdom pathway. And that's the wonder of how God has set us up. I was reflecting on possibly one of the most or well-known Psalms this week. Songs have been written, many sermons preached and many people quoted this particular Psalm, Psalm 23. And I want you to stop for a moment And just think about the depth of what it says. It says that the Lord is my shepherd. If you feel like you're out of control, there's a shepherd that knows which way to go. Come on, if you feel like, God, I'm just not sure about what's going down. No, the Lord is my shepherd. But listen to the next statement, I shall not want. God is saying that the Christian life is not to live perpetually in a place of want. It's not to be in a place where things are beyond your control. In fact, you can read on and say, he makes me lie down when you need to stop. God is good at making you stop. He he not only does that, he restores your soul. Ever felt like you're emotionally out of kilter? Well, he's the restorer of a soul. He leads us in paths that are the right way to live. Not just concepts, but a path. He prepares a table, I love that, in the presence of my enemies. And then as you read on in verse six, it says, surely, said the psalmist, goodness. Everybody say goodness. And I I dug a little into that word this week because of course the original has a lot more colour and flavour, but that word goodness is this, surely the beautiful, the best, the better, the bountiful, the precious, the prosperity, the wealth, and the welfare shall follow me. It's kind of like in the picture of follow is like the owner of a dog that's been well-trained and it's like a snap of the finger or a gesture and the dog comes close in behind, not a far off. And when you begin to break that down, you realise that God is saying, you know, I'm more than just a shepherd that keeps you from trouble. I'm a shepherd that leads you to this incredible understanding that my goodness is right there. My goodness can follow you all the days of your life. And then you go to the next verse in chapter 24 and verse one, it says this, the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof and all that dwell therein. It's kind of like the God we serve is not kind of an add-on God or a, a survival God or a God that runs out. He's the God that has authority over all things. And when you begin to break that down, you begin to realise that The enemy is attacking this thought that God can release us in every area, even in financial ways. Come on, I need an amen this morning. And yes, there are some excesses that have been taught in the church, but you never allow the excesses to take you from the truth. And God is saying, you're gonna realise I'm here, I'm a God of a large kingdom. I'm into multiplication, I'm into blessing. And even words, as I've said, like prosperity have often become negative, but in the context, you need I need to prosper so that I can become an agent of change and help to others. I mean, how can God help those with nothing? If all we can ever do is pray for them and not provide the shirt for those that are shirtless. 
If we don't break through and see God break the curse that's been on the generations, to be honest, I believe this is a huge area where the enemy has got a lot of authority and the church is doing little about it. This week, I got a little angry. I didn't get out of control, nearly. But uh, a great friend of mine, Phil and Chris Pringle, have been again positioned in a very horrible place by a program. Uh, what's the program? Let me think. Current Affair in Australia. And uh, two nights this week, they've been vilified by a current affair as being people that are just all about money. And when you know them, they have spent their lives, the Kiwi in birth has spent their life building the church, breaking through in ground that hasn't been broken through. And you know, just what current affair would do is just say, well, here they are. They live in a multi-million dollar house there in Sydney. And you know, that's wrong for a pastor to be there. And you go, you don't even know the story. Or if you do, you're not telling it. They bought that 20 or 30 years ago. And then they show pictures of him on holiday with his wife with a shirt off with a C and say, look, and then they've got someone who's disgruntled saying, well, they make you tithe, they make you give money, they make it, listen, I can't think of any more generous people on the face of the earth, so I text them and said, I'm with you. <laughs> the day will come, I think even, you know, somebody's gonna have a go with us and say, well, look, the De Jong's, you know, they live up in Fongaparoa. They've got this house that's, you know, X amount of houses back from the beach. And, you know, and I go, yeah, and you don't realise when we bought it just before the rise, we had, there was two kind of little flats we put together. I had a friend of mine come from Australia to help build it. And we love it and we're thankful to God for it. But maybe we should be on the beachfront. <laughs> it's kind of like, yeah, well, that's the thing. Where does all this go? You know, there's a spirit, listen, called the spirit of mammon that wants to stop the kingdom advancing. It's gonna use any channel. And by the way, let me just, I'm not gonna have a go at the media. I'm just gonna set you up. Don't believe the media. Some of you are still buying those magazines where so-and-so, one of the people you love is having an affair with so-and-so in their marriage. Listen, just talk to them first. <laughs> oh man, I'm worked up. And by the way, if you have a problem, well, I don't even like this thought of money's monopoly or a pathway to financial freedom. This is what the Bible says, Deuteronomy 8.18. You need to remember the Lord your God. In other words, remember, He's not just Lord, He's God. He's not just God, He's Lord. And it is He who gives you power to get wealth. All right, you're wealthy? Oh, well, that's spiritual wealth. No, it's not. Do a word story. Study that why he may establish his covenant, which he swore to his fathers. In other words, if we don't break through materially, how can we on planet earth bring the kingdom of God to pass? So behind it, there is a spirit that many people don't realize that the enemy knows if he can cause us to live in lack, we can only see a measure of God's purpose come to pass. And that's why it's a battleground. That's why we've used the theme, money's monopoly. Why? Because it monopolizes. We've looked at how in monopoly, you need to be a good strategist. You need to acquire, hello. You need to have good cash flow. You shouldn't live by chance. Stop trying to land on monopoly to get everybody else's money. Just learn how to pass go. And here's the big thing about monopoly, which I think is pretty true. Even if you make it all, you've got to remember it all goes back in the box. 
If your security is on what you make, then you've got the security in the wrong place. But that doesn't mean that God doesn't have an answer. And, and honestly, as a spiritual dad, even on a global scale, scale now, it's kind of like, I'm not putting up with the fact that 80% of Christians are still in debt. That money is not the thing we talk about as a couple. We don't talk about it as a family. We've got no strategy for it. And, and we're living an echo of generations. And it's almost like the curse of the generations is on us. And, and yet God's Word opens us up to discovering how to take steps towards a financially free pathway. And nobody taught me that in church. I grew up, all I was taught was that I should be somebody that would honour God with my first tenth. And I would steward back to God what belonged to Him. Then I was taught, Paul, make sure that you are always very generous, that you need to seed. And so I did that because that was all I was taught. And then I was never taught that I should think about the generations. If I'm saving, I'm only saving for something I'm gonna consume, but not something that would have an echo. And I was taught this because I had great parents when it came to, again, watching what you spent, but to spend well. And a lot of people think they've got it. But, you know, in the middle of all of that, 2 Corinthians 9, 8, having been married, I've told it the last two weeks for 15 years, Marie and I had nothing because what? We just honoured God with the first and then we gave everything else away. And so we had no pathway to finding financial freedom. But verse eight says, God is able to make. So God is able to make all grace abound towards you. So therefore don't see yourself as a special case. When you start your game of life, Monopoly, you all start with $1,500. Oh, it's not fair, you always. No, 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 everybody starts at the same level. Naked you came into the world. Don't go there with your mind. Naked, you'll go out of this world. It all goes back in the box. But I begin to read this and I go, God, if you're able to make that grace abound towards me that I would have all sufficiency in all things and that I would have an abundance for every good work, that I would live the state of life where I wasn't directed by money, but I directed money. Money didn't decide where I worked. Money didn't decide the steps I made. God decided that and we lived a generational view and it's kind of like, well, Really, now, I suppose in life, it's like you feel tension when you talk on the subject, but it's like it's just the enemy behind it. Mammon has robbed us. And so we've looked, and I would encourage you, if you haven't been there, go back and uh, watch the podcast. Week one, we talked about money is a life-defining issue. You've got to settle that. You've got to deal with that. If you don't, you won't face it and begin to work with it. And then last week, we looked how that money or financial freedom requires principled faith. It involves a partnership. It's not just like, well, I prayed about it. I put a prayer request for financial breakthrough. No, it's a partnership. It's God and you. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Surely goodness and mercy will follow me. I've got to take steps. I, I've got to move. I read this article. There was a young woman who brought her fiance home to meet her parents. And after dinner, her mother told her father to get him aside and check out who he really is. So the father invited the boy to the study and said, so what are your plans? He said, well, I wanna be a biblical scholar. Hmm, said the father, admirable. But what will you do about providing a nice house for my daughter? Well, I'll study, said the young man, and God will provide. Well, how will you ever buy a, a beautiful engagement ring, which I think she deserves, asked the father. Well, I'm just gonna concentrate on my studies. And the young man said, God will provide. 
and children? Asked the father. How will you support children? Don't worry, sir. God will provide. Well, the conversation went on and on. And later on, the mother said to her husband, how'd it go, honey? Father answered, well, he has no job. He has no plans. And he thinks I'm God. A lot of Christians like that. Come on, let's land on free parking. I love the Message Bible, how in Proverbs 11, 4, says this, listen to this. A thick bankroll is of no help when life falls apart. But a principled life can stand up in the worst. And whether you find this easy to take, I just, I'm saying I, I have discovered there are four keys ingredients that make up this pathway. The first is stewarding, which is a, a sovereignty decision. It's the first tenth. Had somebody uh, last week have a go at me after the service. They don't come to this church. I think first time they said, well, I just don't believe. Old Tithing is Old Testament. I said, didn't you hear what I said today? And they said, well, I haven't tithed for four years and I'm better off. I said, didn't you hear what I said today? You can have gift and make money, but it doesn't change the sovereignty decision. Tithing is not an Old Testament law. It was in the Old Testament. It became a law. It's an ordinance. It's in the first person. Read Malachi 3. It's about a relational issue between you and God and who is sovereign in your material world. Every time you increase, it's a decision as to who is going to be in your financial world. And I tell you what, that's why it's not yours to direct. It's yours to do with what God, who belongs to it, has asked you to do. The tithe comes back into the church. Then we begin to seed and we have the right to determine where we go. People say, well, do you tithe on the gross or the net? Well, you make that decision for Marie and I. I want God to be first. I've discovered that my tax benefits me. It gives me roads to ride on. It gives me the provision of what the government uses. It helps the community around me. Everything comes so there is a personal benefit. So for me, it's like, oh God, you're first. And then I begin to look after that. Depends how you see is first. And that's the challenge for all of us. Uh, some people have said, well, what if I can't afford to tithe? Just remember this, first position's authority. It's kind of like, I want God's breath in what I'm doing. There was even an account in the Old Testament, not in the law, 1 Kings 17, where again, Elisha was there, the man of God representing God. He's the prophet. And a widow comes and says, Elisha, we're about to die. We're only got a little jar of oil and, and flour and then we're all gonna die. You know what Elisha said? Make a cake for me first. Put me first. Not me, but put God, the representative. Put that first and then as she did that, how many know the oil didn't run out? And there is this challenge and the world doesn't understand it, so I kind of get it, but it's not about... We're trying to squeeze people. In fact, the New Testament, this lady also said on last weekend, it's like, well, the New Testament says you give according to what's in your heart. I said, it does do that. So when you understand truth, your heart's engaged. Don't ever do anything that somebody makes you to do. And here at Life, we don't even take up offerings in the services because we're not gonna make you, but we wanna teach you the Word of God. Gonna make a decision that the tithe releases the rest. And every time we increased, Marie and I, when we finally bought a house and sold it, I remember we made money on it. And that was another big test. It's like, wow, we've never had that much, even though it wasn't a lot. I was like, no, this is God's. It's a test. It's about the stewarding of God's sovereignty 
in our lives when it comes to finances. Other people have said in business, how does that work? I often say if you're starting a new business, pay yourself so you tithe on what you increase by. And then put your cash flow into your business to get it up and running. And as it becomes successful, you may tithe on its profit every year or tithe on its value at the end. But the easiest way is to pay yourself and whatever you increase is what you do. And don't starve the business of the fuel that it needs in the early days. Is that good? You might say, I need more information. Well, get a copy of the book. Make sure in this fourth term you're in, a, in one of the groups, wherever you are. It doesn't matter. Even if you're online, you can find out. Come to one of our campuses if you're not in a group and let's go through God, money, and me and talk about it and discover answers for it. Stewarding, a sovereignty decision. The second thing we touched on last week was saving, which is where there is a generational release. We're not talking about saving for a new car. We're not talking about saving for a holiday. We're talking about a portion of what comes in. Every time we increase, some of it's going generationally. Oh, I wish I had grandparents like that. It's kind of like, so what do you mean it goes generationally? Well, it can go into your house, something that's non-depreciating, that's gonna build an asset for the generation so that they can not start where you started. They can start on the shoulders of those who have gone before. See, I grew up hearing the law of sowing, which was seeding, but never the law of reaping. And again, in the book, I do a whole segment on that, how that a farmer is as responsible in sowing the seed as he or she is responsible in gathering the harvest. If you don't intentionally put something aside and I'm gonna go there today because some of us need to go say, well, I, I ain't got no money to save. No, 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 stop buying KFC. Stop buying whatever it is you buy. Come on, stop paying for Sky. One day, there's nothing wrong with paying for sky, but one day when you're able to get the pathway sorted out, you can be blessed and have all kinds of things. But you begin every time you increase, every pay packet, something is going generationally. Something is being put aside so that you can break. Why? Because a good man, Proverbs 13, leaves an inheritance for his children's children. By the way, it goes on next verse, there is much food in the fallow ground, the until ground of the poor. So you go, I ain't got nothing. I never had nothing. You haven't tilled the ground yet. And here it is, but for lack of justice, which is the word ordinance, the same word as in Malachi 3. You've got an authority over your finances. Not revealing their identity. They won't let you know it's mammon. But as you begin to till the ground and do it God's way, you're gonna to begin to change. What we didn't understand, and I was never taught this, is that we did these three, I think remarkably well, excessive in seeding, that we needed to tie together our saving and our seeding. The percentage we gave away, we needed to make sure it was going towards a house that would go generationally. And as we began to do that, we began to see our heads come out from under the floor and we began to see that it's incredibly different in its view. One to two generations, your kids can live 2 Corinthians 9.8, which means they don't get a job for money. They do what they do in life because of God's call on their lives. And they can multiply the percentages and make a greater impact because of the foundation that you put in place. Some people say, well, I'm 50, 60, 70 now. Nobody ever taught me. I said, start now. Not only will our house assets, assets, we've still got money to be paid off on that, but Marie and I have started a, an account. We actually have a 
bank account for every one of our grandchildren. And every time we're paid, something goes into that. And as I said before, that's not going for them to pay for their wedding. That's going to go towards their house and that's going to go generationally. Imagine what could happen. You say, yeah, but I can't save. Well, Warren Buffett, as we mentioned last week, the third richest man in the US, he said this, life is a level playing field. Let me put it in the monopoly text. We all start the same. Everyone can learn what I learned. In other words, till the ground. Change the way that you look at your life. Don't just hide money as this too hard an issue. Begin to look at it. And as you begin to do that, you're going to break open. The third big area is seeding. Generosity. And I love these little jars that we have down here because we've done these for the kids. You've got little stickers you can put on any jar. The first one says God first. Second one says generosity. Third one says generations. And the third one gets, uh, sorry, the fourth one says get to spend. Most of us like that one. But we need all four in play. But seeding. Think about this. When God flooded the world because of man's rejection and Noah and his family were saved, one of the first things that God said to Noah was that as long as the earth remains, Genesis 8, there will be seed time and harvest. There will be cold and heat. There'll be winter and summer. Day and night, these will not seed. So here's the thought, just to focus it on seeding. Your life today is the result of seed that's been sown. Negative seed, negative outcome. Some of the issues we've got is because somebody else's negative seed. But if that's true, and this law is a divine irrevocable law, turn it around and go, so I could seed my way to harvest. I could become generous. Come on, the church should be the most generous people in all the world. It's kind of, if you go out for coffee, don't always be the one that has your hand on your wallet in your pocket and it's locked up so tight you can't get your hand out. By the way, generosity is not just about money, it's just time. Okay, let's go there. I feel a liberty today. Do you come to church just for you? Or do you come to church for someone else? See, if you begin to sow in and look for someone in the foyer that's just standing alone, you begin to love on them and say, can I get you a coffee or that? You're creating a harvest in their world and God commits to harvest in your world. It's a two-way multiplication that comes to who you are. By the way, Isaiah 32 verse eight says, a generous person, they will devise generous things. Went out for tea with somebody that lives where we live or close up and, and uh, we've been out a few times for dinner and different ones have paid. And I notice as I'm walking in there in front of me, uh, this person grabs the owner and has a little whisper in their ear. The devising. I said, now you've got to watch that guy over here because he's going to try to pay and we're paying this time. So how many know when you become a generous person, there's always a fight for who pays? If you haven't had one of those, this is a message for you. <laughs> so when she walked past the table, I just grabbed her on the arm. She was the owner. I said, I need to have a conversation with you. She said, he already has. <laughs> Shouldn't we be generous? Generous in our feedback. Generous at work. Oh, well, work sucks and I'm not going far and I don't know what's going on. You want to harvest this? Start sowing into it. Your seed can unlock. You say, yeah, no, be not deceived. Galatians 6, 7. God is not mocked. God is not mocked. He set this divine, irrevocable law in place. Whatever a man sows, that he will 
reap. See, some things are beyond our control. Harvest is not one of them. Let me say it again. You're blaming a lot of people. I've blamed a lot of other people for things that I needed to take responsibility for. It's my responsibility. He who sows sparingly, 2 Corinthians 9, reaps sparingly. He who sows bountifully will reap bountifully. And as we tie the seeding and the saving together, we are positioned to get to spending. And I think spending for me, as I wrote this week, is a freedom insurance. See, a lot of people are all caught up and we don't want to go there and we're under pressure when it comes to money. Imagine living a future from this point on where you are free when it comes to financial pressure. You go, what do you mean from this point on? Well, this is the thought. If you live within your means and you re-center or realign decisions that you've made in the past so that you're in a place where you are literally spending within your means, then you are gonna break through. Uh, the third president of the US, Thomas Jefferson said, never spend your money before you have earned it. Oh, I can put it on HP, I can get an interest. No, you gotta look at your spending a whole different way. Whatever you put into things that depreciate or are consumed need to come out of what you have, not what you don't have. And again, there's a whole section on the book as how do we begin to do that? I looked up the median a, a wage in New Zealand as of last year was just on $1,000 a week. So that's the average income, around $50,000 a year. That's $142 a day. You go to half the world's population when people say, well, I can't live like this. More than 3 billion people are on $18 a week. And they're still living. So when you think about spending, you go, we're just gonna look at this and have some think time about it. And one of the keys I've discovered is delayed gratification. It's kind of like, I want it, but when am I ready for it? Because if you and I limit our spending, especially things that do not go generationally, to the level of what we have now, everything would change. So we get married, Marie finds this hunk of a guy. She throws grass at him in the choir. And he looks that way and she winks. And I thought, wow, Ford Australian. <laughs> She'll tell you another story. We get married and our parents at the time couldn't afford to, to give us money for the weddings. So we had no, no family. So what we had to do is pay it off. It took us six to nine months to pay off. Somebody gave us a very cheap rent in the house. We didn't have anything apart from the wedding gifts. You know, the temptation is, well, we need a washing machine. So we had a, a conversation. We don't, have a, we don't even have money for a washing machine. And she looked at me and she looked at my feet. She says, you've got size 12, I've got size 8. You're the washing machine in the bath. Serious, true story. For six months plus, filled the bath half up with warm water. Couldn't even afford the proper detergent. Just got soap. And I just walked until the bubbles came up. I don't know if you've ever been there. Just walked. And then trying to rinse jeans with soap that's right through them, trying to squeeze them, Marie on one side, me on the other side. Do you know what? We decided we weren't gonna buy what we didn't have. 
But the money that we didn't have, we weren't going to buy it. We began to save our pennies. Then we went on to trade me and we found a twin tub. If you know what that is, that is not a washing machine. It's a very small washing machine that can put three shirts in and about half a dozen socks. And then it has a spinner next to it. It doesn't even get rid of the water, but it was a miracle. We've gone to heaven. This is a breakthrough. This is on the pathway. But I tell that story to say this. Listen, anything that's depreciating, if you want to break the cycle of debt, you pay it with cash that you've saved. So you have to go without and you don't have to live up to everybody else's expectation. You can go to the airport and say, oh man, we've been praying for a car. Look, there's a brand new one in the foyer and it's 0% deposit, zero interest. This is an answer. Wow, thank you, Jesus. We've been praying for that car. We buy the car. We don't read what's not written, which is we just lost 15,000. So we're in worse debt. It wasn't a miracle. It was a ploy of the enemy to keep you at a place that you're not ready for. You go, well, how do I change it? Well, here's the thought, maybe work. You say, what do you mean? I do work. Yeah. I think most of my life I have worked the equivalent, and I'm just saying you have to be me, but I've worked the equivalent of two jobs my whole life. And this is how I put it. Work won't kill you, it will enlarge you. It's kind of like, well, I am working, yeah, but how hard are you working? Would you spend more time on social media? Would you watch TV? Would you do, in fact, we've got 168 hours in the week. Let's say we all take eight hours a night sleep, that's 56. Even that's a revelation some people need to write down. It won't kill you. That leaves you with 112 hours to eat. Oh, well, that's good because I need about 100 hours to do that. 112 hours to eat, travel, replenish, connect, and work. And when you think about that, it's kind of like, so I've got to look at that and I put 60 in brackets around work because some of us maybe for a season of time or it may become part of what we do. We're going to take a second job. We're going to actually begin to get the income in because when the income is in, then we can make decisions about living a different way because now we're changing the whole platform of who we are and and this revelation, as I said before, that faith without works is dead. All right, I've got to go there. Church and worship without works and application. An altar call, transfusion of someone else's faith will not keep you in the place of the faith that you need to bring. Faith without works is dead. That's the Bible. Oh, well, God will just do it. It's like the guy, oh, well, God will just do it. No, 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 I'm not God. You need to get off and do some work and yet still have your ministry working. And I love that. When I was 15, by the way, my friends were envious because I brought a brand new 125 Honda, Honda motorbike. It was gray, could do wheel stands off the traffic. I do admit I got pulled up twice by a policeman doing a wheel, st- uh, wheel stand down Lower Heart City. That was before I was a Christian or fully Christianed. <laughs> oh, you're lucky. I said, yeah. All of my high school, I worked Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday after school and all day Saturday. So I went and bought a motorbike because I had enough money saved. And it's like, you imagine if we just live within our means. It's kind of, we could actually take on another job if we're in a dire strait for a while. Well, I've been trying to get a work and I can't find any work. Well, have you thought about working for free? What do you mean? Where, where would you love to work? Go and talk to the highest up rank person and just say, hey, I'd love to come and work. I, 
I'd love to come and work for three months without pay. And you see if I'm the kind of person you need. And you come earlier than the other people and you stay later. Like true Christians come early to church, stay late after church. No, no, okay, that's something. It's like, yeah, yeah. But what do you mean no pay? Because you're creating a pathway. And so you're going to have a different attitude to everybody else. Well, I just don't like it. Nothing ever changed. No, no, no. Change your attitude. Remember, we're talking about seeding. We're talking about saving. We're talking about stewarding. We're talking about, again, spending the correct way. Spend your time. Just turn the TV off and work for free. And just begin to find it. Go to a night course. Begin to develop your ability. Oh, well, they're lucky. Most people, some people are lucky, but luck doesn't keep you there. It all goes back in the box. However... If you build line upon line, Thomas Edison, who created the light bulb, listen to this, opportunity is missed by most people because it's dressed in overalls and work boots. It's hard work. And I think we've got to change the culture. Again, Proverbs 22, 29, do you see a man or a woman who excels in their work? They stand before kings. And I think, again, we could have just a, 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 a work alone is not what we need. We need the whole four components working together. It's getting quiet in here. Do we need to go deeper? Let's go deeper. Proverbs 6, verse 6. Go to the ant, you sluggard. Ooh, what'd you get out of church today? I'm a sluggard. Have you ever stopped and looked at ants? They never stand still. What do they do? They gather in the harvest. They have no captain. They have no overseer, but they get food in the harvest. And yet Solomon says, how, how long will you slumber, you sluggard? See, it's a little sleep. It's a little folding of the hands to sleep. So shall your poverty come upon you like a prowler and your need will come like an armed man. I wonder if your need right now is killing you. And our man's not there just to play games. The enemy doesn't want you to break through, to either break through. So he'll use everything. And so that's why we go, no, we need stewarding. It's a sovereignty decision. Saving, it's a generational re release. Seeding, it's a harvest forerunner. And spending is literally a freedom insurance. So here in the book, I wrote this. I'm even adjusting some of it for a reprint, another reprint on this God, money and me. But I talked about the 10, 10, 10, 70 principle which is basically I came to this point of going, well, God, if you require and you ask for the first tenth so that you can be sovereign over my financial world, I wanna build a life towards having 10% seeding. For Marie and I, when we started this, as I said, 15 years into marriage, we were giving more than 30% in seeding. We felt dirty to cut it down to 10%. So for us back then, it was not a hard thing to do. It was hard because we felt guilty. But then if it's 10% seeding, I believe you've got to tie seeding and saving together. That would mean 10% would go into our house so that we could build something that will go generationally. That would leave us 70% to spend. And we could then look at it. If we wanted or needed more to spend, we needed to up our income, find different ways to do it, work harder for a while, work differently for a while so that we could build that and live principle because there is always pressure. And if you don't have principle, it's gonna take you out. Now I would look at that and I would go, yep, let's teach the kids because most of them don't have tax if they're getting pocket money. So let's teach them, hey, God's first, first tenth. Come on, let's be generous. Let's have 10% put aside so kids at school that are in need, you could do something to help them. 
Come on, this is your seed jar. You can go, you can help legacy, you can do whatever you like. You got your seed jar. It's not what's coming, it's what you've put aside. So we don't live in tomorrow, we live in today. By the way, a lot of us are giving away tomorrow what we don't have, or giving away what is tomorrow's in our today. And then we've got, again, 10%. That's not for your holiday or the next doll or the next car, you know, little truck or whatever it is you buy. This is to go generational. And then you've got seven of the $10. You can choose what you wanna spend it on for yourself. I think if I did it today, I would look at it differently. Let's put on the first slide. What I do believe is, personally, that stewarding comes before tax. So therefore, I would always say the first tenth belongs to God, whatever my increase, whether it's pay, salary, or whether it's an inheritance, or it's something like a house that's had more money when I sold it than when I bought it for, that first tenth. And that would leave me 100% of disposable money, money that I get to choose on. So therefore, I would go then, 10% of what's left, I would put into seeding and 10% would be my goal of putting into saving and I could live on 80%. Or if that's too hard, you look at this slide. Say, start somewhere. What's God is God's. That's a test. This is about relationship, about sovereignty. But then you go, okay, what's left? I'm gonna start with 2% seeding. Can you imagine having an account where you've got seeding money already in it? Your neighbor has a flood and they've got no insurance there. I can help with a carpet. I can do something. It's like, well, I've never thought, no, I've got a seeding account because seeding creates harvest. And then I've got a saving account that's going towards primarily my house here on earth where it's gonna go generationally. And then I'm gonna spend the 96% that's left. Then we're gonna grow that and go to 55590. And then we're gonna go to 10, 10, 10, 80 of what's being left. And you could keep on going. You would say, if you've broken through in finance, why wouldn't you live 30, 30, 40? So 30% would go into seeding and 30% would go into Again, long-term. And you might go, well, I don't have any grandkids. There are spiritual grandkids that have no spiritual grandparents. So let's change that whole thing and be a blessing to others and then begin to look at that. And then finally, couldn't we even turn that to sort of uh, 45, 45 and 10? Live on 10% because we've really broken through. We have everything and we're actually building and our children's children are gonna increase the percentages because of the platform that they've had. So how do I do it? Well, I'd encourage you to have a look at this next slide, which is how we'd look at budgeting. And we've created this thing called moneysmonopoly.com that you can go on to line. It's on a church app. And it's going to enable you to set your budget to the percentages of what you want to do. So you can see there, again, the first tenth of 50,000, if that's your annual, would be 5,000. Your income on 50,000 would be 8,020. Leaves you with 36. If you went 2% or 22 and then 96, it would be 740, 740. And then you've got 35,500 at your disposal. And as you go up, that would change. And of course, your rates. But you can put that all in to that calculator and help you. And then you can break down the areas of spending and put the percentages of what you're currently spending in that. I think that's a good idea. And we're going to help people. That's why this next term, term four, every life group is going to be doing God, money, and me. And in every campus, we're going to be holding it so that we can go through and again, find an answer for breakthrough. I want you to look at that as the teams come and join me again, down south and up north here at Central because God is a God that is so practical. God is a God that wants to deal with what is monopolizing us so that we can begin to direct and change the generations. And I suppose I 
I'm moved by how little we teach on this. And as I've said before over the series, if you leave church because we're talking on money, that's your choice. But as for me and our church, we're going to go there on whatever the Bible talks about. And God wants to break what has been a generational curse. But the challenge is, do you trust God? Let me say it again. The challenge is, will you trust God? The tithe is not for you to determine. It's for you to return. And then our seeding, we have the privilege of creating harvest in all sorts of other places. And God returns the harvest in us. It breaks something open. And then with that, we begin to save and then you see the little bit go up. As I said, we, we've still got a mortgage because we didn't learn this early enough, but you joke around, but it's kind of like you work hard and you do it God's way. You can enjoy the wonder of life. Don't, don't ever find yourself excusing the blessing that God brings. Hello? But it's not just about you because if it's just about you, it all goes back in the box. But if it comes through you, you're gonna find fulfillment in life and God has an answer for you. There is nothing that you've been through that can disqualify you for what God has for you. Because our God's Elohim. Some of us just need to know, we kind of believe God for salvation, but do we believe Him in this area as well? We hope you enjoyed this podcast from Life. If you have any questions or want to contact someone about this message, visit lifeau.org.